0: How many times have I said I'm going to do an LSD run and I've gotten some
1: really weird looks? If you're like, I wonder if I hit the wall, you didn't,
0: (laughs) because you will know. If somebody says golden ticket, it's usually in relation to Western states. A negative
1: split feels pretty positive. That was us, Kim and Carolyn, and this is episode 159 of the Inspired Souls podcast.
0: Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. Have you ever noticed that runners have their own special language? If you have been running a long time, you may not even realize it. But if you are new to the sport or this podcast, you know exactly what I mean. You hear people speaking of workouts and zones, hitting the wall and negative splits. And just when you think you've got the basic running terms figured out, you go on a trail run and discover you have no idea what anyone is saying when they talk about yo-yos, FKTs, VKs, and mewling? There is a whole other lexicon out there to learn. True to our mission of bringing road and trail runners together, we decided to discuss and hopefully decode some of the things runners say. While we are no means experts, we have been around a while, and may just save you from having to Google something you either hear on the show or out on a run. We had fun with this episode, and we hope you do too. Hey, everybody. So today, it's just Carolyn and Kim. Which is Hello. today we thought we would do something different and just do a more casual conversational episode which we haven't done in a long time. Today is Thanksgiving Day here in Canada and I just want to start off with just a moment of gratitude. You know we were just chatting about how two years ago we were debriefing on the Boston Marathon when Carolyn and her husband were in Boston, still in the peri-COVID period. And we are now, I can safely say, past that. We're racing again. Chicago Marathon just happened yesterday with some big things that happened. But that's not actually what we're going to talk about today. Today, we are going to Discuss some of those running terms, phrases, acronyms that so easily slip off the tongue of runners who have been in the game for a while and might confuse those who are new to the sport or those who aren't even in the sport and are listening to our podcast. So, or those who are in the sport
1: yeah. and are in a different, participate in the sport yeah. in a different way. So, I'll, I'll right. start with a funny story. So, If you scroll way back to one of our very first episodes where we interviewed each other. So I was interviewing you, Kim, and I gave you our rapid fire questions. And at the end, I said, what's your bucket list race? And you said, OCCC at UTMB. And I was like... (laughs) I don't even know the words that came out of your mouth because I don't know what any of those letters
0: stand for.
1: And I thought, (laughs) my goodness, like we're both runners. How do I not know what she's talking about?
0: Yeah. So you're listening to me saying these acronyms and you're like, what the heck is she talking about? And you covered so well. And we didn't know each other well at the time.
1: Yeah. But I think that brings up a good point, which is when you don't know something that seems like you should know, it is vulnerable to say, can you explain that? Like what does I don't that
0: mean. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So instead of asking you, I just googled it or asked you off air or something.
0: Yeah, which we don't want you as the listener to have to do all the time. So we're just yes. going to throw out a whole bunch of the <laughs> quote things runners say, acronyms, terms that we just start to like throw out there that maybe mm-hmm. not well understood or known what they actually mean, yeah. both in the road. And in the trail community. And I must exactly. say, I think the trail community is even more weird than the mm-hmm. Roadrunner community. We probably have a lot of things to talk about there.
1: And also there's some things where we think we have a shared definition of mm-hmm. what something yes. is, but maybe we actually each have a different understanding of what those things are. But then we haven't discussed that our definitions are different. So we're, we're kind of
0: we're operating having a disjointed conversation. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're we're coming to this as both as fairly experienced runners but with vastly different backgrounds, vastly different types of running that we do and we hope that between the two of us we will somewhat represent you the listener in that what the heck does that mean? So Here we go. Where are we going to start? And I'm sure
1: that we'll forget a whole bunch. And so this will be a fun one on social media to actually put your comments in of of some of the things that we may have forgotten. Yeah. Okay. Okay, Where are we starting?
0: Let's start with common, more road running terms because I think that's where a lot Mm -hmm. of runners tend to start their running journey is on the road. And then we'll move into some trail running terms. And we will probably flip back and forth a little bit as we discuss some terms that cross over. So, Let's start first with when you are being coached by a coach as a roadrunner, they'll throw Mm -hmm. the the word out workouts. So Carolyn, what does a workout mean in roadrunning language?
1: Okay, so usually when roadrunners are talking about a workout or they have a coach and their coach gives them a workout, what that means is there's some kind of... Pace work usually within that, so you're not just running it all easy. It's not uh, a, a conversational run per se. There's usually some easy running at the beginning for the warm up and at the end for the cool down, but the middle part has some variability in terms of pace. And there's many, many different types of workouts. So you may hear things like tempo run, or fartlek run, or intervals, or hill sprints or strides or something like that. But all of those would constitute in my mind what I'm thinking a workout is. But a really funny story about this. I was going for a massage one day and my massage therapist is an athlete, but she's not a runner. And so she was doing her thing at the beginning, kind of like assessing me before, like, what are we going to work on today, basically. And I was telling her because I had had an injury and that's why I was going to see her. And, um, she's like, so how is it? And I'm like describing, and I'm like, and I even like, I did a workout the other day and it was like really, really good. So I'm optimistic. And she's like, Oh, like you lifted weights in the gym. And I was like, interesting. Like it never occurred to me. And even in in the context of the story, I was like, oh, I thought it was really clear that it was a running workout that I was doing. But as I kind of zoomed out, I'm like, of course, I could also be doing a workout in the gym. And Mm -hmm. that wasn't what I meant at all. So it opened my eyes to just some of these terms that we throw around and and that they're not always universally understood by everybody.
0: Right. So a workout I'm hearing from you and my understanding of it is it tends to be harder than an easy run. Like there Mm -hmm. is some intention, there is some effort involved. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned the word strides. I'm going to like pick one word out of all the different workouts that you just listed. Because that is one as a trail runner is not commonly Mm -hmm. used. Mm -hmm. What are strides?
1: This is a good one. And this is probably one that is not really always understood by roadrunners either. So strides are like short little sprints, if you will. So I always explain them as think of the straightaway of an outdoor track. So the whole entire straightaway of the track might be like 100 meters, right? So if you think of that distance, you're going to, after you're warmed up in your run, so I usually get people to do this in the second half of a run, or sometimes people do them at the end of a run, you would gradually accelerate up to your kind of like 95%. It's not an all out sprint, but it would usually be faster than like 5k pace for a road runner. Like you're turning your legs over pretty quickly. So, but you're not going from zero to a hundred, like all at once, you're taking, you know, three or four seconds to get up to that speed. And then you're holding that speed for kind of the middle third of that length of the, the track, the straightaway of the track. And then you're gradually just decelerating out of it, whether that's back to your easy running pace, if you're doing them in the run or, um, to a stop, and then you turn around and walk back to the beginning and you would do it again. And you might do it four, six, eight times in the run.
0: Okay. Okay, thanks for that. I I thought that was what strides meant, but thanks for clarifying. So it's not starting out boom, sprinting off the blocks as fast as you can go. You gradually build up and mm-hmm. you gradually slow down.
1: Mm -hmm. So there are just nice ways that people can run fast without the kind of downsides of running fast. It's not a huge workout. It's not something you have to recover from, take a nap from, (laughs) like they're very palatable. They're a nice introductory um, speed work. Sometimes some people think of them almost like a drill that way.
0: Okay. Okay. So here's another trail runner asking road runner question. (laughs) quality. You mentioned the word mm. quality a few minutes ago. So what is a quality workout?
1: Yeah. Well, to me, the quality and the workout are kind of the same thing. Anything but an easy day. And and actually, I it's funny when mm. I... See, I would kind of argue with you on that in
0: my understanding of quality, but go ahead.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, an easy day, like you're just going out at your easy jog pace. And the reason I'm laughing at that is because... If you're a new runner or a novice runner, or you've been running for less than a year, let's say, you probably don't think any of the runs are easy. And I remember hearing that easy term when I was a new runner and I'm like, all of these (laughs) runs feel hard. What do they mean by easy? don't tell me my 22
0: mile run wasn't quality. That was freaking quality. Exactly. But when somebody like on the street throws out the word quality workout, like for real, what are they typically referring to?
1: It typically means that there was something in that run, like pace work, like the workout that we were just describing, or it's your long run of the week, oh, right? Okay. So that might be all easy, done at a very easy pace, but it's difficult because it's long, right? So right. therefore, it's quality. <laughs> that's my understanding of it. But again, um, you may have a different understanding of it, or you may describe it differently. And that's why we're doing this podcast, <laughs>
0: Well, you know, that's interesting. This is an interesting topic and I don't want to stay too long on this one, but as a trail runner, you know, your quality could be defined in so many different ways. Whether it's, did you get the vert that day? Did you get the time on feet that day? Did you get the distance that day? At the end of the day, you want to feel like you accomplished the intention of the run. Yeah. And if the intention was a lot of vertical, and a lot of time on feet, to me, that's quality, right? And if you compromised your quality. So another term I like to throw out there is don't rob tomorrow by what you do today. Mm -hmm. So if Mm -hmm. you have a plan for tomorrow, and you do something to sabotage that plan today, you're sabotaging the quality of your workout tomorrow. Yeah. So you want to make sure that you're able to accomplish the intention of that workout, no matter what it is. Yeah,
1: I don't love the word quality at all, to be honest, yeah, it's so because yeah. it's almost putting what we're meaning when we say those quality runs, like whether it's the long run or the, mm-hmm. or the mm-hmm. workout type ones, it's almost putting them on a little bit of a pedestal in my opinion, mm-hmm. like, Oh, the quality days. Oh, that this easy day doesn't really matter. But something like days. Yeah. Uh, and I always explain to m- my clients that like the whole entire like compilation of all of your runs is like a puzzle you may prefer the corner pieces or the edge pieces, but they're all needed for the complete puzzle to be finished. And I really think that the easy days, the recovery days, the day off, the absolutely no run, dedicated rest day, I call them, all of those are just as important because they're a piece of the puzzle to make the whole thing work. And so I I think it's risky to put any one run on a pedestal. And I do see this sometimes where – you know, people get busy and I totally get this because I coach mostly recreational people with lives and jobs and families, and they will prioritize the long run, never miss one, but often will miss those six to 10K runs in, in the middle of the week because they're, you know.
0: Which are the workouts. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, they're, <laughs> so that's yeah. where I can sometimes see that like thinking of it as something is quality over something else is right. um, not overly productive always. Yeah.
0: Okay, Carolyn, I know what a long run is, mm-hmm. but what is a medium long run? <laughs> what does somebody say when they're saying I'm doing a medium long run?
1: Yeah. So this often comes into play in my coaching when I'm coaching people for marathons. So we've got the long run and I think everybody understands, although I've heard an entire like 90 minute podcast on all the <laughs> ins and outs of a long run. That was very interesting, wow. interesting. with David Roach. Um, Anyway. The long run is your longest run of the week. So often for people training for half marathons, it's 90 minutes to two hours. Right. And Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when you start training for marathons, it often gets above that two hour mark, two to three. There's a lot of like two to three hour runs in marathon training and then the everyday run, the kind of easy runs or recovery runs might be anywhere from 30 to 60 minutes. So there's a lot of room between a 60 minute run and a three hour run or a two hour run. right? Right. So I really love people doing a medium long run, which might be somewhere in the 75 to 90 minute range that they do kind of, as far away from their long run as possible. So maybe a, a Wednesday. Wednesday medium mm-hmm. long run, if they're running their long run on Saturday or Sunday. So that's how I use it. And it's just another, there's magical things that kind of happen internally when you start to run over like around that 75 to 90 minute mark that a lot of people ask, like, can I do two 40 to 45 minute runs instead, if I can't carve out the whole hour and a half? And the answer is you can, but it is better to get that longer aerobic stimulus another time in the week if you're marathon training. So, but again, this is sort of advanced, but that's what I mean. I, I don't do that with everybody. But again, I had really never, I trained for many marathons before and never incorporated this medium long run, but it really is a game changer if people can, can carve out that time. Right.
0: But and, and then that makes runners, me ask you, sorry, yeah, do, yeah, do ultra runners do for use ultra that? Ultra runners, it tends to be your back to backs. So when people refer to back to back or triple back to back, it'll be that longest run on one of those days, but a, your second longest run typically within 24 hours of that. Mm, okay. And that's to try to stimulate the fatigue that you would have in, in an ultra marathon. Right. Gotcha. So I don't want to go too far on that, but yeah, that's yeah. typically what we're talking about at that longest, medium, longest, the difference between, I think marathon and below in distance would be they're spread out by maybe three days, three, four days. Whereas ultra runners will intentionally put those runs closer together to try to stimulate that fatigue without yeah. running 50 miles and then needing three weeks to recover, or four or five weeks to recover. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. Awesome. Okay, okay, so zone training. This is something that baffled me when I first <laughs> read John Stanton's <laughs> books, etc. Like, what the heck is zone training? And I know this is a hugely variable definition of zones, but Carolyn, how could you most precisely define what zone training is?
1: Yeah. So, uh, t- truly, I think this is one of the Probably one of the best examples of when we think we are all talking about the same thing and we all have different definitions mm. of what this means. And so, yeah. from my understanding, simply what we're talking about here is trying to identify through whether it's heart rate or rating of perceived exertion, the different intensities that one would be working at. So the the zones refer to the intensity. So
0: an effort.
1: effort. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So you can measure it on effort alone like that would be rating maybe a, a exertion,
0: zero right? to 10
1: yeah. scale or i think classically the rating of perceived exertion scale was like 6 to 20 which is mm-hmm. very um mm-hmm. <laughs> not user friendly i i do think did did you know this actually i i think i read a little history on this cuz i was like why who came up with this and it was 20. this guy borg i know yeah. Bored, and i yeah. think it it's to do with your heart rate so it's multiplied by 10. So the six multiplied by 10 would be 60. So that would be like a resting heart rate. So you're actually hardly doing anything. And then the 20 would be 200 and that's like, you're working all out. So it's kind of in, Mm. in there, but it just wasn't user friendly enough for people. And we identify better with a zero to 10 scale. So that's classically how, how it's used. Um, And then you can measure it on, on heart rate as well, like beats per minute. Um, So easy, all the way up to sprinting, basically. Right.
0: So, and, and there's been zones of like zero to five. That's kind of the classic mm-hmm. zero, like one, two is your easiest, five is your all out sprinting pace. I've mm-hmm. seen zone definitions as high as eight, nine, I've 10, seen even seven, I yeah. think, and
1: three is common, just sort of like easy, moderate hard, right? So, So,
0: okay. For the average runner, if your coach throws, you know, sends you a plan and says, please run this in zone three, what should a runner do if they don't understand what that means?
1: They should ask their coach because their coach could be operating. Let's say they're operating off a three zone model and the coach is meaning an all out when they say yeah. zone three and yeah. the person understands it to be moderate, like that's going to be a totally different workout. Right. And a good coach
0: will tell you what that means before you even exactly. have ask, yeah. I think.
1: Yeah. Right. But I think if yeah. you're, if you ever get assigned things by zones, I never assign things by zones personally, but if you ever get assigned workouts by zones, absolutely double check with your coach what they mean. So the two of you are on the same page.
0: We could have a whole podcast on this. Yeah, it
1: is very involved. It's hard to give a a concise answer on this one, but hopefully that sums it up as far as it's a, a way to approximate
0: how hard you're working. Okay. So every runner has tried to do their best. Some are going for a PR. Some are going for a PB. What the heck is the difference? Okay, so these two terms
1: are used interchangeably. PR stands for personal record. PB stands for personal best. I think we tend to use PB more in Canada and PR tends to get used more in the States. I'm not sure what Europeans use, but there's obviously exceptions to that as well. I think even Americans, if they use PR... They say my PR is whatever, three hours in the marathon, but they wouldn't say I set a new personal record of three hours. They'd say, you know, my personal best is three hours. So they so would use
0: a PR an official like time, whereas a personal best might be unofficial. Is that possible or no? Mm-hmm. No, I've never, never heard it like that. Anonymous. Okay. Yeah.
1: Okay. It could be confusing if they go back and forth and say, you know, my PR is this. And then when they refer to it, they call it a personal best. I think that could confuse the person that they're talking to for sure. But but essentially it's the same thing. It is the same thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know. What do you, like, do you use that in the ultra
0: world? We do somewhat, although the trails are so different and the courses are so different. People will still be proud of their, you know, 50K PR, for example, but I would say And, you know, trail runners, listen to this. Please argue with me. Please throw it in the comments, you know, on our social if you disagree. But I think the trail community is still largely influenced in Canada by the U.S. because we still operate miles so much. All the big Mm -hmm. races are in the U.S. So we tend to take that lingo a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And I tend to use the word PR. But Mm -hmm. um, essentially, it's what is the best effort you've ever done at set distance, right? Yeah. 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 Well, I
1: think that kind of segues into one of the other ones we thought of, which is funny because I go in kilometers. So again, a Mm -hmm. lot of like metric countries will operate in in kilometers. Um, But then here in Winnipeg, I would say almost everybody uses miles. And I've lived all over the place. In Canada and everyone uses kilometers, but here Except in Winnipeg, Winnipeg uses miles. Yeah. So I now am fluent in both, but I still use kilometers for myself. But I will refer to say my weekly mileage. Isn't that mm. funny? It's sort of like the PRPB thing. Um where you're not I'll gonna say of... your
0: weekly kilometerage. Like, like is, is that even a word? That. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and if it is a word, can anyone say that ten times fast? <laughs> So yeah, yeah it curious. is kind of interesting, but yep, mileage,
0: kilometerage,
1: <laughs> Americans, it's all the same thing.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So, staying in the tune of road running lingo, um, we're really random with some of these things because I will say to our listeners right now, Carolyn, I've been brainstorming this episode for the last week or so and just throwing random words in a chat as they come to our minds. So here's mm. one, randomly. What does a shakeout run mean, Carolyn?
1: Yeah. Okay. So you'll hear, actually, we just had Chicago yesterday. And so typically in advance of these major marathons, they'll have a shakeout run the day before. And what that means in my world is it's just that very, very chill, easy run. And we may throw some strides in there the day before. I always give a shakeout run the day before a race.
0: Okay. So you don't do a shakeout run a week before? Never. Never. And and
1: I, and it's funny, like, and I've never really thought about this, but I only write in for my clients a shakeout run the day before a race. I would never write a shakeout run any other day ever. If it was the day after a race, I might call it a recovery
0: run. If it was a week before you might call it an easy run. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Exactly. So it's yeah. just a
1: very easy run. You never want to like do anything major and difficult before before the race. But it's a shakeout run. It's typically very short. I mean, depending on the distance of your race, like it, it might only be like twenty or twenty-five minutes, fifteen minutes, maybe even
0: just to shake out the nerves, get the le- get the yep. legs, get, moving, the flowing, get the blood flowing, blood yep. flowing.
1: Do some strides, sort of get that neuromuscular system primed and yep. ready to go, and make the race day effort feel easier the next day. If you awesome. don't run the day before, then you'll usually feel flat the the okay. day of the race. Good
0: so the shakeout know. run is
1: very, yeah. but yeah, like why? Why do we say shakeout? I don't know. I got it from someone who got it from someone who got it from someone. But that's what we mean.
0: That's what we mean. So you just mentioned easy run, recovery run. What mm-hmm. is the difference between recovery and easy run? What if you're none of your runs are actually <laughs> feeling easy? Is that yeah. a problem? <laughs>
1: That is not a problem. And that's something I I think I talked about at the beginning of the episode. So if you're fairly new to running, and by new, I mean, like, in the last year, maybe even the last two years, it can take a long time before you feel like any of your runs are truly easy. But an easy run, the way I describe it to people is, you know, we can put a heart rate to it, although that's difficult to do. But I usually say like somewhere around 140 is, you know, an easy run is just your heart rate's nice and low. You can carry on a conversation. So conversation pace you hear it's
0: controlled.
1: It's just very, very easy. So
0: recovery run might be slow, but it might not feel easy if you just Honestly, run a Kim.
1: I would say that my recovery runs are sometimes my hardest run of the week even if it's my slowest. So the recovery run I will typically assign the day after a race the day after a hard workout right. something like that the day after a long run
0: mm-hmm. and
1: the entire purpose of the recovery run is to get the blood flowing and to pr- promote healing. Like you are right. not trying Active to gain recovery. fitness in, yeah. the reco- in the recovery run. It's to get the blood flowing and finish feeling better than you started. Okay. And you run yes. whatever pace you need to run. And maybe that's a run walk to achieve that aim again. So back to our quality. If you achieve that, that's a quality. That's, <laughs> that's quality. a quality day. Yeah. That's not usually what we mean when we say quality, but in right. my opinion, it is. Um, but it could be and probably will be your slowest day of the week. This might be two, three, four minutes a mile slower than your marathon pace.
0: Okay. Like really
1: easy. Or you might feel good that day and you're, you feel like you can accomplish the mission of feeling finishing feeling better than you started by running one and a half to two minutes a mile slower than your marathon pace. But you're not aiming for a pace necessarily. You're aiming for a feeling.
0: Oh, I like that. Aiming for a feeling. That's Mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. That's good. So let's talk about another feeling. (laughs) It's runners, sometimes when they least want it. What is hitting the wall, bonking? What is that? What is actually, what's the definition of hitting the wall? Yeah. Hitting the
1: wall is well, it's debatable actually. So if we had a physiologist on here, we might actually um have a, a really interesting discussion on this. But typically we see this a lot in marathons or pro- I don't know Ultras. if it happens oh, in ultra. Trust me, it happens Does it? Okay.
0: ten times during an ultra Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: But typically it happens in, in marathoners. Classically around the 20 mile mark or around the 32 kilometer mark, because at that point, if you haven't been fueling well, you have pretty much bottomed out and run out of glycogen. And so you're okay, forced So
0: run out of glycogen. I think that's yeah. a, a key yeah. point. To to use the word bonking, that's often how I define mm-hmm. it, is when you you know, because again, ultra runners can come back from hitting the wall or bonking many times, but yeah. it's usually when they've run out of glycogen and need to restore yeah. that. Right. Yeah. yeah. Because your body,
1: your glycogen is the stored form of carbohydrates and it's, you mm-hmm. store it in your liver and your muscle cells. Untrained people, maybe that can store about 400 grams of glycogen, but if you're trained, you can up that to five mm-hmm. or 600, but either way you're going to run funny. out after yeah. about 90 minutes to two hours worth of high intense exercise. So if you're running a marathon, it's not high, high intensity, but you know, you're going as fast as you can go for the marathon, right? If you're, if you're running it all out and you're going to burn through that glycogen pretty fast. So you'll burn through it around 90 minutes to two hours. And that's, and if you're not doing a good job of replenishing that, so fueling and taking in the gels mm-hmm. and the sports drinks and all of that, then you will be, you will just feel like. Dead legs, heavy legs, like you just have no energy. You have no, like you can try to will yourself to go faster, but you cannot go faster because you're, you have no energy. So you're forced to slow down in order to use a different fuel system, which is fat.
0: fat. And that's why ultra runners can sometimes hit that wall, quote, multiple times because yes. they tend to eat <laughs> and then keep going, walking, running slow, whatever it, and shift into fat meta- metabolism. Mm-hmm. Some ultra runners actually run fully fat adapted, but regard I don't want to get into that whole debate right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it, You can go through that cycle of, re- you know, replenishing the glycogen and then depleting the glycogen multiple times over a hundred. Yeah. Typically in marathons and half marathons, there's not enough time to go through a second cycle. You're done, right? (laughs) But it's never fun. It's not a fun feeling, feeling Mm -hmm. like you're literally running into a brick wall Mm -hmm. uh, or pulling a train behind you as you're trying to run. And (laughs) you can avoid that by proper fueling, which... Sometimes it's easier said than done. So, yeah. okay, that's what hitting the wall means. Yeah, And that's one thing I wondered in my first marathon. I was like, when is this wall going to come? What is this yeah. hitting the wall feeling? And it was always this like enigma of when's the wall going to come? But um, when I hit it, I knew, sadly. <laughs> And once you, yeah. know, you if know. you're like, I wonder if I hit the wall, you didn't. Because you will <laughs> no. know. You you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Actually, I ran CIM last year and at the 20 mile mark, they had this brick wall thing <laughs> that they just like set up like for the race. That was very funny. Oh,
0: that's funny. <laughs> I was okay. like, oh, I still feel good. Yay. <laughs> so we still have a few road running um things to talk about, which I think that actually this is an interesting topic here. Qualifiers. This goes both mm. ways. Road and trail. Let's talk about qualifying acronyms and definitions. Let's start with BQ. What is a BQ, Carolyn? Boston Qualifier. Okay. And mm-hmm. what, is, what is a Boston Qualifier?
1: Yeah. So the Boston Marathon is one of the, well, I think it might be the oldest marathon. It is in Boston, obviously, but you run like Hopkinton to Boston, and it's a very popular race that you need to meet a time qualifier in order to have the option of applying. So a BQ, so a lot of races are Boston qualifiers. So the BAA, the Boston Athletic Association, has, you know, deemed these different races in all different cities across Canada, United States, everywhere as BQ, like certified, right? So if you run the time on this course, then this will allow you to put your name in. To apply. To yep. apply. So okay. every gender and then every like five-year age groups have different time standards that they need to meet and so then on a certain day and this is actually very timely so they open up the window to apply to Boston and we're recording today on October 9th I think it was just back in September that you put your name in so anyone who's qualified in a a certain window of time I think it's 13 months usually in the in the year before that like for 2024 coming up the race would have had to been run September 1st, 2022 to September 30th, 2023.
0: Okay, and I know there's big things in the news about the buffer being one of the largest buffers ever in history this year. What is the buffer for the Boston qualifier? Yeah, so
1: let's say, so for for my age, women 45 to 49 need a three hours and 50 minutes or faster to get into Boston. Just because you run faster than 350, it doesn't mean you'll get in. It just gives you the option to apply. And so anyone who wants to run Boston, who has the faster than 350 as a woman in my, in my age group, they all apply. And then Boston will sort out, okay, we have 30,000 spots or or however many they have. And here's everybody that applied. And often there's more people that apply
0: than they can accommodate. Maybe it's you have to run two minutes faster. Okay. So that's what the buffer means. Like the number of people that got in were within this many minutes of exactly. the qualifying yeah. time. Okay. Yeah. Ooh. So I, you know, Boston is tricky to get into in the trail and ultra running community. I would say it's pretty much equally as tricky to get into some of the races. Western States is a North American kind of one of the most iconic and hardest to get into races. Hard Rock is another one. UTMB, Alter Trail du Mont Blanc in, well, it ends in France, but it runs through Italy and Switzerland as well, is another really hard one. So, you know, there's qualifiers to get into the lotteries for these races as well. So I will kind of jump a little, take a little bit of a side note to trail running definitions here. When somebody says it's a double qualifier, what do they mean? It's a double qualifier. Typically, typically, now this can vary for sure, but that will mean that it is both a Western States and either a hard rock or a UTMB qualifier. If it is a triple qualifier, it's all three, right? Mm. Those are the three kind of hardest to get into UTMB, hard rock, Western States. UTMB has changed a lot of their requirements. Um, You need stones and different <laughs> different things to get in it's actually very confusing um now but double qualifier in north america typically means hard rock western states or utmb western states now golden ticket is a term typically reserved for western states if it's a golden ticket race it means that if you are one of the top 2 male and female finishers in this race you will be guaranteed a spot at western mm-hmm. states Um, UTMB has some World Series qualifiers that guarantee the top 10 male and female entries into Mm. UTMB. But the the running lingo hasn't quite extended to calling those golden tickets yet. It's more like just a guaranteed entry, Mm. at least from what I've observed. But if somebody says golden ticket, it's usually in relation to Western states. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And Western states, so the way you described it to me when
1: we first started doing this podcast, because again, I'd heard of it, uh-huh. but like it yeah. was not something on my radar. And you're like, it's kind of like the Boston Marathon, yeah. the trail running world. Yeah. And I was like, okay, it is. It really. Is. It. So the similarities are that they only take so many people, and you have to qualify.
0: It's highly competitive. It's very iconic. It's the oldest hundred miler mm-hmm. race in the U.S. Mm-hmm. It's just one of those races that people run just to say they did it, right? And a lot right. of people do that with Boston too. They don't always expect their PR or PB at Boston, nor do they always at Western states. But just mm-hmm. getting in and having the experience and the culture and, you the know, history. Some, the history of the race, mm-hmm. I don't think you can find two more comparable races between trail and road in, in North America yeah. than Boston. And Western right. States. Yeah.
1: Now, but for the um, everyday trail runner, they don't have to hit a time cutoff necessarily, no. do so they? So qualifying,
0: yeah. yeah, that's a good distinction. So for Boston, it's very much based on time because a lot of the marathon courses are very standardized. They're certified. They're typically more homogeneous, although some have more hills than mm-hmm. others. They're more homogeneous. In the trail community, The trails can be You know, anywhere be the qualifying races can be anywhere between one and one one hundred K and one hundred miles. Um, and often it's just finishing, right? Some of the races might have a faster finishing time than the overall race to qualify but typically it's just finishing this race qualifies you for entering Mm -hmm. the lottery for western Mm -hmm. states okay Um, and then you so
1: your name you finish the one race the
0: name goes in the lottery
1: and it's still up to chance there's no it's still up to chance Mm -hmm. and
0: it's i think comparable there's hundreds of thousands of tickets that goes into both of these races. Mm-hmm. Runners will try upwards of 10 years to, to get into some of these races. Right. And it's, it's a real privilege to when you finally get in to actually yeah. be able to show up and run this race. Yeah.
1: Well, and, and so, Tr- you you go in, you put your name in the lottery with the understanding that it is a lottery. It's like exactly. a lottery. Like yeah. you may not get picked, right? Yeah, you just thing- worked your
0: butt off just to get in the lottery. And then it's all up to chance, which right. is, yeah.
1: Yeah. And then the thing with Boston, that's quite controversial right now, especially in light of the fact that it, they just announced their buffer for 2024 and it's five minutes and 29 seconds, hey. which is yeah. huge. Like yeah. that's, imagine running five minutes and 29, 28 seconds faster and thinking, oh yeah, I'm for sure in, this is one of the largest buffers that they've ever had. It's the second largest buffer that they've ever had. And this okay. is on the heels of two years where there was zero buffer because, because it's Yeah, probably because probably a a trickle down from COVID for sure. But um, for the last two years, they let in everybody that applied. And this year you had to have five minutes and 29 seconds or more. And so there was a lot of really disappointed people that, uh, you know, everybody works really, really hard, but it's sort of like, what's the point of a standard? That's sort of the pushback Mm -hmm. of it is like, why make this qualifying time if that doesn't even guarantee you to get in. So I I understand from all sides. It just, I think it's almost easier in some ways to think, well, my name didn't get drawn in the lottery. I'm unlucky. Like my name never gets drawn for anything. (laughs) I don't think I've ever won anything. So I'd just be like, okay, well, I'll try again next year. But when, when you kind of, cause you still, those people that ran 528 and slower than their cutoff, they still be cued. Yeah. Right. They can still say I ran a BQ because they did. Yeah. It just didn't, it wasn't enough of a BQ to get them into the race that year. And that's, that's so highly variable every single year. It just depends on the
0: demand. Well, and that, you know, conversely in the trail community, the same thing happens. Like a person finished a hundred mile race. It could have been the hardest race of their (laughs) life. And that was just enough to qualify to enter states. Right. Yeah. And so you could say, Look, I just ran a hundred miles. Like, how could you not let me into states? Well, there's like thirty six thousand other people. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. you know, thirty six hundred other people that did the same thing. So For you're right. Sure. I mean, life isn't always fair. Um, but this is this is they have to have systems in place somehow. And yeah, yeah and honestly, I, I think that. this is a somewhat of a dare I say great problem to have that so many people are out there running and trying to qualify Mm -hmm. for these things. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's a sign of our times that this is a desirable thing. People are active, people are pushing themselves Mm -hmm. and you just have to be better if you want to get into these things, which Yeah. 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 Sometimes means you're in and sometimes means you're out. Okay. So Let's, let's move along down the list of some of these other more quickly, easily to define road running terms before we move into the trail running (laughs) weirdness. Um, this actually applies to both. I think a little bit negative split. What the heck is a Mm. negative
1: split, Carolyn? Mm, My best friend, the negative split, um, a negative split refers to basically running the second half of a race faster than the first.
0: Okay. And so conversely, what is a positive split and banking time?
1: A positive split is when you go really fast and then you drag yourself across the finish line. <laughs> you bonk or you hit the wall and you slow down. And so your second half is significantly slower than than the first half. And this can happen in 5Ks. It can happen in, basically, it can happen in all distances.
0: All It can distances happen in a 400. 400- <laughs> yeah. 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 So we will let you, the listener, decide which is better. Do you want yeah. to make this split? <laughs> Or positive split, depending on how Carolyn just described it.
1: <laughs> yeah. So um, the the temptation of it's it's very interesting to go out and watch uh, children. Um, I'm sure you've done this, Kim, when your kids were doing, you know, cross country and things like kids do not know how to pace themselves. So typically they will just like sprint out of the gates, like in a cross country race or whatever, and then they're walking. And so, so that's a positive split. (laughs) Like that is exactly what a positive split is. Um, I do find the terms hilarious because it isn't a positive experience. Typically a positive split feels pretty negative (laughs) and a negative split feels pretty positive, but it does require that you have a lot of patience and restraint early on because the beginning of a race is never hard, right? Like when you go out faster than marathon pace, it doesn't feel hard. Of course you can do it for five miles, 10 miles, you know, but at some point, it becomes hard because of how long you're doing it for. And that's, that's the, the part that sucks when you have to slow down. But, um, but a negative if you don't want to slow
0: down, sorry, yeah, ahead.
1: Yeah, then you, you restrain yourself in the beginning. So you know you can run faster, right, in the beginning, but you hold back. You have that patience, that discipline to pace yourself properly so that you actually can speed up towards the end. Okay. With your so that leads into the next
0: yeah. Yeah, word, which is kick. So oh, I thought we already talked about kick. Yeah. No, no, no. Maybe didn't. Like, okay. <laughs> this is yeah. one thing again that runners might be going, Oh yeah, it's sexy to say the word I kicked. Like what is mm-hmm. kick? What is a kick? a kick is
1: when you, uh, you're getting towards the end of the race. And, and typically you see this, um, like in track, it's sort of like, if you're doing an 800 meter, two laps around the track, it's that like final, you know, 200 to 300 meters, like coming around the bend and down that final straightaway, you just start sprinting even faster. So I I suppose it depends a, a little bit on the distance of the race that you're talking about. But if you can run like the fastest 10 K at the end of your marathon of any of the 10 K's you just ran prior to that, then that's, that's pretty amazing to, to do. And it, but it, again, you can only do it if you've managed your energy in such a way that you didn't burn it all <laughs> prior to that, which takes again, restraint and experience a lot of the time.
0: Yeah. yeah. Patience, discipline. patience.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, so we've just talked about a lot of different road running terms, which trail runners will use as well. But people who venture from road running into trails or who just somehow get scooped into the trail running community without ever running roads, which isn't as common but happens, might encounter some really interesting terms because we do have a whole lexicon in the ultra trail running community. And as Carolyn alluded to at the beginning of this podcast, (laughs) it can be really convincing yeah. so w- i made a whole list of terms and carolyn why don't you just start um asking me some clarifying questions
1: okay so uh i told the story about like needing clarification on the ccc at utmb which i don't think you did so oh no exp- i didn't you, okay ex- you 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 defined utmb but what is ccc at oh UTMB? goodness
0: you're gonna make me do this okay so CCC at UTMBs. So before I define what CCC means, CCC is a 100-ish K distance at the Ultra Trail du Mont Blanc trail kind of festival that happens in France, Switzerland, and Italy in the latter part of August and September of every year. And CCC stands for Comarier Champagne and Chamonix. So it starts in Colmayeur Italy, goes through Champé, Switzerland, and ends in Chamonix, France. So mm. it is not quite the full loop around Mont Blanc, mountain, Mont Blanc Mountain, but it is still 100K of that. So CC stands for the towns that it kind of goes through. They okay. all start with C. And it is part of that whole week that is okay. a running festival.
1: But the UTMB, like the classic UTMB, the classic. is a hundred miles, and it's this over CCC is a hundred like k,
0: seventy k. So it's k. just over a hundred miles. But yeah, it's okay. it's a hundred ish k.
1: Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you for clarifying that. Mm-hmm. And the other one early on, I do remember feeling like a bit of a dum dum. I'm like, what does she mean by FKT? And I had to get <laughs> off a. a call. I don't think it was you that said it It was one of our guests. And I was like, I have no idea what they're they're talking about. And then I had to Google it. So what is FKT?
0: So FKT, this is a really good question. It stands for fastest Known time. And this is because trail runners often don't run races on designated courses. I just like going and doing, you know, um, routes through the mountains or, or linking together peaks in different ways. And there's multiple ways you can link together these peaks. And so, although a, an official race might not exist on this route, runners will run the fastest known time of doing that route. And it's become high, more organized, you know, in the in recent years, there is a website, um, you typically in order to have a fastest one time ratified, you have to announce that you're doing it in advance, you have to have um, witnesses, you have to have GPS tracking mm. of the route, <laughs> you will Designate whether it is supported or unsupported. So unsupported means you start, you know, at point A and you have absolutely zero human support to point B. Supported might be you have you have dropped a cache of resupplies or you might have people meet you in the middle of the route to give you support. So there okay. are supported FKTs and there are unsupported FKTs. But it, you know, and with modern technology, it's you need to somehow prove that you actually did this route, <laughs> yeah, um, in a certain period of time. And I can't give you the website off the top of my head. We could maybe link to it in the show notes. But there, there is a ratification system for FTs. Mm. Yeah. Okay.
1: All right. Thank you. Um, I remember when we interviewed Ehor Varies, and again, this mm-hmm. would have been in year number one because you still lived here. And he went out and did the Manterio Trail, which is sort of yes. this famous trail along the Manitoba Ontario border, which is very rugged and a mm-hmm. lot of people will target that and do it one way. And it's a whole thing because you have to have a car at one end and it finishes at another end. Anyway, he did a boomerang of the Manterio Trail. What is a boomerang? What is
0: a boomerang? So a boomerang is, uh, you could also call a boomerang a yo-yo. It's essentially running the same route out and back. So if you run out you know, do it one direction. That could be an FKT in one direction. You could run the fastest one time from point A to point B. If you choose to boomerang, you would then turn around at point B and run back to point A to complete that boomerang or yo-yo. So they're
1: completely interchangeable, boomerang and yo-yo.
0: Yes. I would say boomerang and yo-yo are interchangeable for okay. sure. But you could okay. have an FKT that is one way, or you could have an FKT that is there and back, which would be the boomerang or yo-yo.
1: Yeah. Okay now I can't remember who it was we were interviewing a trail runner you and I believe it was a man but i am just it's I'm totally blanking on who it was um you ran the same race and we were debriefing with him and you said oh when I was on that lollipop section and (laughs) and you'd already come through or something I don't think you saw him yeah um, lollipop? What is she even talking about? And I think
0: I kind of figured it out. So a lollipop, this is a term I actually learned when I was doing Zion 100, running with some people and I've thrown it out a few times since and a few knew what I was talking about and so many didn't. So I'm going to like normalize the word lollipop here. So a lollipop is a section of trail where you leave an aid station or a section and you head out on the lollipop stick in one direction and then you, you diverge from that stick and you do a loop mm-hmm. and then you come back to that stick and the remainder of that section is crossing over. With the people that were going out and back. Mm -hmm. So part of that lollipop section, you'll be running in the same direction as everybody else. And on the stick, you'll be running against people coming into the lollipop section. So it can be a really good opportunity to see where you are in relation to the competition. It can allow you to say high five to your friends, but yeah, it is a section that you overlap through the stick. Okay. I I think that that's very Mm -hmm. intuitive, (laughs) but uh, I had never heard that term before.
1: Okay. Um, You often will say that the dirty little secret in ultra running is, do you know what I'm talking about? That there's a lot (laughs) of walking (laughs) or trekking. So is there anything beyond anything more you'd like to elaborate on with the word trek?
0: Okay, so yeah, trek is kind of like the the less derogatory term for walk or hike. <laughs> <laughs> so absolutely, like every good ultra runner will manage their energy. They will move the most efficiently they can in the terrain they're in, given the vert, given the environmental conditions, given the trail conditions. And sometimes that means walking. Sometimes that means power hiking. Sometimes that means trekking. So if somebody says I was trekking this section, it just means they were like power hiking. They weren't jumping into a jog or a trot, but they were power hiking as fast as they could. So that's what trekking means. Typically, it's with poles, but not always. Yeah. Okay. And so again, it's it's
1: an efficiency thing efficiency that you, you thing. can probably trek or power hike as fast as you would even be able to run in, in some sections, right?
0: Absolutely. There's been times I've been trekking behind people jogging. And I'm like, why are you trying to run right now? I'm like, behind you and I'm conserving loads of energy or vice versa. I find myself running and I look behind me and somebody's just power hiking behind me and I feel like a complete idiot. So it really is about managing your energy the best, but trekking is just synonymous with hiking or walking. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so you might choose to trek
1: when there's a lot of vert and Mm -hmm. you've already said vert. So what do we mean by vert?
0: Okay. So, this is where um, let's talk about the different metrics of a run. So, there's distance, right? Mileage, kilometers, however you want to define it. Kilometer that. <laughs> Yeah, that's the horizontal vector. The vertical vector, the Y vector, will be mm-hmm. vertical or elevation. So, vert is typically synonymous with the amount of elevation you will have gained during a run, vertical. Mm-hmm right? Mm -hmm. Um, So when you look at a course profile, you'll be looking at the total distance of the course, as well as how much elevation you will gain and lose during a course. When a runner says, I'm training for vert, I'm racking up vert. Mm -hmm. That's typically how much gain, total elevation gain they're looking for. However, a run may be net downhill Therefore, the negative, you know, the loss of elevation will actually be more than the positive, which is, you know, Boston's Mm technically is technically a negative gain mm-hmm. down course. Yep. However, there's still vert, there's still gain in that course. And that's where it can be deceiving. So it's really important for you to look at your course profile. But if somebody says, you know, man, I racked up the vert this week, it means they were going for the total number of meters or feet and elevation gain in a run, not so much worried about the distance. And you're saying though, it's weighted more towards the uphill up, part of it. For sure. Yep. So
1: how do you, how do you rack up vert without also going down? You don't like you have to come down. Okay.
0: Of course you're okay. <laughs> coming down. But, um, because training runs will typically be point to point, start to finish in the same place. Yeah. It will be equal. A raise yeah. sometimes will be not equal. If it's a point to point, you could conceivably have more gain than loss or more loss than gain. But if the mm-hmm. run starts and stops in the same place, they will be exactly equal. Okay. So that was another
1: one of my questions is that you're just talking about point to point. So you could actually start a race or a a run and finish at a different place. It just, you go from one point to the other, Yes. but often what we do is an out and back, Mm -hmm. which is we go out and then we come the yo-yo back yo-yo to the same lollipop. place. So yeah, go <laughs> your lollipop. Um, and in that case, the net will right. always be zero. It'll
0: all be 0 It'll be zero. The net will be zero. Right. Yeah.
1: But you may have racked up a ton of vert, vert. within it. Yeah. Okay. Got yeah. it. Okay. So on that note, what is VK?
0: So VK is something we haven't actually haven't talked about much on our podcast. It's becoming more popular. VK means vertical kilometre. So this is something, essentially a vertical kilometer is a thousand meters of vert. It's a thousand meters of gain. So if you say did a 5K run with a thousand meters of gain in that run, it's a vertical That would be kilometer a steep run. <laughs> within, yeah, absolutely. And these exist <laughs> uh, here in the Rockies. Um, runners like the Golden Trail Series do have a VK as one of their components. There'll be a vertical kilometer, say, on the Friday night and then a half marathon on the Saturday and a longer run on the Sunday. But vertical kilometer essentially means did you do a thousand meters of elevation gain during your run? Okay. Yeah.
1: Now I remember when we had Sasha Gaulish on the podcast, she was talking about the vertical kilometer championships or yeah, something and she had gone. And so thing. one of the routes that she did, cause she's done it more than once. And I think it was like over seven K and then another one was like more over 13 K. Mm-hmm. So I remember her. So you would think about that like as a road runner, maybe and Oh, okay. Seven yeah. K that's shorter. That must be easier. No, that would be no, way harder to do it's than that.
0: Yeah. Mm, okay. The the longer the distance, think of an X and Y axis and your, mm. and your line, right? The longer yeah. the distance over the same vert, the yeah. less steep it is, the more runnable it is. So should we talk
1: yeah. about. There's another term there. Yes. Runnable?
0: <laughs> yep. Go for it. <laughs> okay. So. Yeah. Trail runners will always throw out this term of, oh, it's totally runnable or that was runnable or that wasn't runnable. What the heck does that mean? And it, it, honestly, it's different for everybody. It depends on your fitness. It depends on your experience. What is runnable for one person will absolutely not be runnable for another person. But typically on the ups, it means that it's maybe less technical. The grade is less steep. If you have a you know, a decent level of fitness, although slow, you could still run it. Um, if it's not runnable, pretty much anybody of any fitness level is going to be power hiking gotcha. at that point or scrambling even right now, same with the downhill. So downhill might not even be that steep, but it could be so technical and so bouldery and so rocky and so rooty that, there, you know, it's really not runnable. You're you're trying to protect mm. your yourself from injury by slowing down a little bit. So mm-hmm. on the downhill, it may be related to grade. It also may be related to technicality of the trail. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's okay. essentially a combination of of grade and technicality and difficulty. Yeah. yeah.
1: Okay. So um, this is reminding me of the first time that we were on Dwayne Scotty's podcast he's interviewing us about like road runner and trail runner and you were so he was like really interested in in what you had to say because I don't think he has as much experience with trail running but you were talking and you're like this one had a lot of buffed out single track (laughs) And and I remember him being like I don't know any of the words that you just said. I was like, so again, buffed out single track would be something a little bit more
0: runnable. Oh, it's so funny you bring that up because we were planning for this podcast. I thought of that exact moment in conversation of what the heck is buffed out single track? And this is something that just rolls off my tongue now after a decade of (laughs) ultra-running. The types of trails, right? So yes, buffed out means smooth. You know, the trail may be narrow. It may be steep, but there's no big rocks. There's no big roots. Mm -hmm. It's buffed. Mm -hmm. It's smooth, right? It's smooth. And so you don't have to worry about catching a toe, picking up a foot. Um, Mm -hmm. It's often creamy. We like to use the word creamy, buffed out single track, which would Mm -hmm. be like nice, you know, clean dirt. Um, so yes, that would typically be very runnable downhill. If you have a bust out single track downhill section, it means you can just fly. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. yeah. What other types of trails are there? Well, yeah, there's your highly technical. So again, what does technical mean? It could mean rooty. It could mean rocky. It could mean um, big mud bogs. Um, mm-hmm. Typically runners will call them muddy if it's muddy. It could mean mm-hmm. shale and scree. So scree is, you mm-hmm. know, slippery rocks that could, you know, slide out from under you. Um, what else is there? Snowy. Obviously, Mm -hmm. Um, and then I've heard you say um, mashed potato snow. I I stole that term from you, but like
1: it's harder to run on. Um, So, what do you mean first by that? And then, what would be an easier snow to run on than than that?
0: Oh, goodness, Carolyn, you're taking me into winter running here. So, um, no, that's okay. So Mm -hmm. when it comes to snow conditions, you have your hard packed, uh, kind of um, not icy, but really hard packed. And I Mm -hmm. love that condition because it's usually been cold for a long period of time. It's not icy and it's just like running on dirt. Exactly. There's Mm -hmm. absolutely no difference. I see it should be pretty self-explanatory. Um, mashed potato is snow that's kind of crystalline and not hard packed. And the more runners that go over it, it literally turns into almost sinking maybe to mid-calf with each step or even mid ankle with each step. And it just, it's like running in sand. It's like yeah. that soft desert sand. It's just so much energy out of you. And it's often in the spring, right? As it's yeah. melting and... There's been yeah. some melt freeze, melt freeze. hmm Um, -hmm. then there's also the, here in the Rockies, we get the freeze with fresh snow on top. So you could have like a Crust with a, a breakthrough, and mm. this is where you get into more mountaineering type snowing conditions, which isn't really, let's be honest, running. At that point, you're tracking right. through these; yeah. these you're almost snowshoeing through those spots. But mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. back to the smoother conditions, you know, you have buffed out single track, you have four service roads. So that again, what's a service road versus a single track? Single track is where only one person can go on that trail at one point. If you want to pass, you're jumping. Over logs or through bushes, or in some way asking the person to stop so you can pass. Okay. Um, which brings up a whole other conversation of running etiquette. But anyway, etiquette, yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe another podcast. Yes. Yeah. Then you have double track or forest service roads where you have a wider trail where people can, you know, pass mm-hmm. easily, run in pairs, chatting with each other as well. So there's lots of okay. different types of trail conditions. Yeah. Okay. So maybe this is a good time to talk about traction then Mm, yeah so traction what is traction so (laughs) traction can be in in the trail community anything that gives you better grip typically it means spikes of some kind that you add to your shoes or that are built into your shoes to accommodate Mm -hmm. for icy winter conditions so you know Different from track spikes that are, you know, used on a track for sprinting, traction in the trail running community would be the pull on like yak tracks or some kind of external traction device you put Mm -hmm. on top of your shoes versus shoes with built in spikes into them Mm -hmm. that are permanently in the shoe there's benefits to both. Um, I've learned since I've lived in the Rockies for the last few years, the conditions are hugely variable. You might start uh, a run in dirt and mud and as you go up, you're hitting ice and snow and you don't want those spikes on your shoe for the first half of your run. You actually want them on your shoe for the last half of the run. If you had them on for the whole run, you'd be dulling them on rocks and dirt, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes the removable spikes are good as winter sets in, having them on your shoe the whole time is good. But it's Mm -hmm. essential something that gives you grip on ice. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's move
1: to maybe some racing terms Mm. here. So when you started talking about different races you've done, there's always um, aid stations. So why don't you
0: talk about the aid stations? So aid stations could be comparable in road running to the uh, the water stations on a marathon Mm. course, but an aid station will tend to have more right? It will have food. It will have water. It will have emergency medical, first aid, potentially. Sometimes it can have your crew there. Some, Mm -hmm. some don't, but aid stations will, will provide you some form of aid along the course. Yeah. Okay.
1: Okay. Yeah. And we just, we don't tend to really call them that in road running. Like, yeah. The water, the water stations. That's, That's what typically you just water them. in a road running yeah. race. Right. Yeah. Water yeah. or, or like a Gatorade or right, you know, some electrolyte yeah. drink, but it's pretty basic. Right. Whereas mm. from my understanding, there's like literal buffets at some of these eight stations. There can
0: be definitely during mm-hmm. the longer races. I was just crewing at a 200 mile race. Trust me, when people have been out there for three and four days, they want pizza, pierogies, <laughs> <laughs> meatballs, um, Sushi. sausages, and pancakes for <laughs> breakfast. So, aid stations can you know, they're not a joke. Like they can really be the difference between a runner safely moving into the next stretch of a race or not. Mm. You don't want to send your runner out into the night um, without proper nutrition, Mm -hmm. without a headlamp, without, you know, enough water to make it to the next next checkpoint. So, Mm. you know, they're both an opportunity for runners to gain supplies, but also for runners to check in with the race organizers to Mm -hmm. make sure where they are um, and to receive medical support if needed. Yeah. Okay. Well, this might be a good time to talk about
1: crew. So the crew could be at the aid station along with the medical support people.
0: Yeah. Right. So this is something that is kind of unique to trail and road ultra running more Mm -hmm. ultra even than short trail races is crew. Like why would you need crew? In a road run, you have your your cheering section at the finish line or potentially along the way just cheering you, but they're not helping you in any way. Mm-hmm. So in an ultra marathon, you could have friends or family who are there to literally support you. They can be, they will be only allowed at the aid stations. Not mm-hmm. every aid station allows crew. So you might have every other aid station that allows crew access, depending on how mm-hmm. remote the course is. But the crew will provide any and all of the above things. Hugs, (laughs) a kick in the pants, (laughs) emotional support, uh, gear changes, fresh shoes, fresh socks, fresh clothes, food that may not be supplied by the aid station is, you know, if a runner has specific dietary needs, say they're vegan, you know, they may need specific right. things or um, they have certain foods that they like that are not supplied by the aid station, they'll supply that. Sometimes you don't want to pick up your headlamp until partway through a race, so the crew might have that. Mm-hmm. They provide foot care, medical support, so really... Mm-hmm. An ultra runner does not absolutely need crew to run a race. It's not required. It's not mandatory, but it's sure nice to sometimes have a friendly face and somebody there that can just take care of you for the five to 10 minutes that you need to get out Mm -hmm. for the next Mm -hmm. section. I imagine um, from on the emotional side of things, especially in the longer
1: races to look forward to, to see your people, it would be like massive, right? Yeah. Um, So this maybe brings, could, could somebody on your crew also double as a pacer? And then join you for a portion of the run.
0: Yeah, so absolutely they can. So your crew can be your pacer. Your pacer can be your crew. It can be one person for the entire time, but that's a lot to ask one person. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So yeah, a pacer though, separate from the crew is somebody who leaves the aid station with you. So back to crew, they can only crew you within the confines of that aid station. There's a certain line they cannot cross and provide you support Mm -hmm. outside Mm -hmm. of, but a pacer, can go with you on the course between aid stations or to the next checkpoint. And a pacer in, in the ultra running and trail running community is someone that essentially runs with you, makes, you know, keeps you buoyant psychologically. As the races get longer, you're potentially going through the night, can <laughs> tell you if you're hallucinating or not. And is what I'm seeing real? Yeah. No, actually, that's not a tent with an aid station. That's... <laughs> just a tree. Let's keep going. Um, oh the, the pacer can keep you on track so you don't get lost. This is legit. Mm, the mm. pacer can make sure you're eating and, and drinking your hydration on time, mm-hmm. but the pacer cannot meal for you. And so I'm bringing up the yeah. next statement yeah. <laughs> is mewling. Never heard of it. What is Do you know muling? what mewling is, Carolyn? Okay. <laughs>
1: well, I can guess from your description now, but when I saw it on our <laughs> list, I thought it was a typo. So... <laughs> Yeah, what is
0: so, so Think of what a mule does and it hauls stuff for you, right? So a pacer can carry the, all their own supplies to support themselves during a segment. And this is also real, like pacers need to make sure they're not bonking and they're <laughs> not running out of water during very long sections of a race so they can carry their own water hydration, mm, but they can't yeah. carry extra supplies for the runner.
1: Here's a question: How would somebody know? Like, if yeah. the base, if the pacer is there, and they need their own water and and food and everything mm-hmm. too, which makes total sense. Like, who's gonna know if they just give it to
0: it's the honor system? They okay,
1: I see. But yeah. it's just okay.
0: something that is not condoned officially, right?
1: Okay. All right. Drop bags. Mm, drop. How bags. is this different than? stations, like what would be in a
0: drop bag yeah, and how do you get it gotcha. dropped where it needs to be dropped? Yeah. So this was big, actually a big component that I need to learn a lot about when I first started ultra running. So drop bags are usually um small bags or I use a shoebox. I use like a just a clear plastic shoe box from a dollar store um, with supplies that you can leave at certain checkpoints or aid stations. So this can be used if you don't have crew and you know that you might need a, a fresh pair of shoes at a certain point because you'll be crossing a river just before that checkpoint. Mm. You can put, shoes or some extra spring energy or a fresh pair of socks into that quote Mm -hmm. drop bag and then what you do is the day before the race when you check in usually at the racers meeting you leave the drop bag in the designated pile say i want this drop bag put at this aid station you leave it in that pile with labeled with your race number Mm -hmm. and they will take it there for you when you come into that aid station you will then look for your drop bag um It's not exclusive, so runners can leave drop bags if they have no crew. They can also leave drop bags even if they expect to have crew because – it has happened to me. The crew has been late. You show up at the aid station. There's no crew, but at least you have your drop bag because sometimes these aid stations are few and far between and it takes hours to drive and the crew might misjudge your time and show up an hour after you were there. The last thing you want to do is sit there for an hour waiting for your crew for your headlamp. When you're going into a night, you want to leave that in your drop bag. So Typically I recommend leaving drop bags, even if you expect crew, because with the crew gets there before you, they can grab your drop bag. They can get it all ready for you, but at least you know it's going to be there. Gosh.
1: Ultra marathons sound like you need to have a lot of like logistical, it's good like planning ability. 100%.
0: It's <laughs> yeah. spreadsheets, man. Oh <laughs> spreadsheets. my goodness.
1: Yes. <laughs> okay. Now you've talked about going through the night in some of these races the longer ones especially you've talked about hallucinating so Mm -hmm. you know if you're hallucinating maybe you would need a nap what is a trail nap
0: (laughs) and have you ever taken one trail net dirt nap this is a term that's starting to become more common as 200s become more popular so literally it's laying down on the trail in the dirt and sleeping or trying to sleep And this is a thing I know I've mentioned to a few of my non ultra running friends, you know, trail nuts and dirt naps rather flippantly and they're like, what, you just lay down on the ground and sleep. And believe it or not, you're tired enough. Yes. Yes. Um, sometimes you might come into an aid station with the the best plan ever to have the you know a, a thirty minute nap in the comfort of the back of your SUV, and you get there and I've seen it both in myself and others. You just can't sleep. There's either too much going on, or you're just mm-hmm. your mind is too adrenalized. You just can't go to sleep. Mm-hmm. But then you get out into the middle of a starry night where it's totally quiet, mm-hmm. and you're on the side of a mountain, and it overcomes you, and you just literally fall over asleep. I have tripped over friends on the trail napping before like well that's what I was
1: gonna ask is there etiquette to the trail naps because if you're on buffed out (laughs) single track you don't want to be in the middle of the the trail when other people are going to be coming through so you get yourself to the the, side or you get
0: yourself off the trail ideally yes there's places where there's not much room but when I say tripped over I mean You know, you're not always on the trail, clearly. (laughs) If you need your own trail nap, Mm -hmm. you might be weaving a little bit. But ideally, you're getting yourself off the trail so you can have your nap. Yes. And if you have a pacer, that pacer is waking you up in said amount of time, two, five, ten minutes. Yes. Because you've said to
1: them, I only want to be napping for this long. Because probably you could just be there for the next eight to ten hours.
0: (laughs) Sometimes the lucky ones can sleep in two to 10 minutes. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yes. Well, that sounds like something you probably need to practice. Um, okay. Pain cave.
0: Oh, <laughs> if you are
1: in need is- of a trail nap, you probably are in the pain cave in <laughs> some might be. way or another, but from my, again, limited understanding, um, was this term, is this term very much used by Courtney DeWalter?
0: Oh, you know it's used by a lot of people, but she's talked a lot about it. I actually recently listened to a podcast on Trail Runner Nation with with I think it was three different people including Courtney is one of them, debrief on how they define the pain cave. So everybody defines the pain cave maybe slightly differently, but I think the consensus among the group as well as what I would support is it's actually not physical pain that puts you in the pain cave. It's usually the psychological pain right mm-hmm. and think about a 5k race a 10k race you're in the pain but in some ways the pain propels you it fires you up it builds you up it's a, you know um scott jurek talked about this in his book north like the when the pain when the pain um feeds you it's different when the pain depletes you and mm-hmm. when the 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 fatigue and the pain and the psychological um Challenge of it all puts you in this dark place that is not temporary, it's starting to become more long term. That's what people would call the pain Mm. cave. And Courtney has a whole psychological way of dealing with her pain cave (laughs) that is very unique. And I think why she's able to do what she does. But yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I think maybe. Dave Proctor might have touched sure. on this a little yeah. bit with his. Yeah. So, for people
1: that haven't heard, he set the record of of running across Canada yes. last summer. Yeah. Um, so, as you can imagine, and it took him what six weeks or something like running 105 kilometers a day, like ridiculous. Yes. Um, you're going to, you're going to encounter some pain with Multiple that. Multiple so, times. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. And I
0: think that's the difference too, between what we would call the pain cave and maybe what is that muscle burning physical pain is the physical pains finite. The pain cave can come back over and over again. And it often does during an ultra yeah. and you know, just to briefly touch on what Courtney talks about is she's learned rather than to stand at the door of it and try to avoid going in. She just like, let's get through this as fast as possible. she dives into that cave as deep as she can and embraces it. And it's a really unique way of thinking about it, but it works for her. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, we talked
1: about kicking or negative splitting or speeding up at the end of a race is this a thing in ultra running is there ever any do you ever see anyone have a kick when they finally see that finish line
0: <laughs> I'm laughing because i would say our perception is yes we kick the observation from the outside might not be so much. No, I think it depends on your level, right? If you're Jim's Walmsley versus Kim Sankey, but, <laughs> um, there is definitely a burst of adrenaline coming into a finish line of, of a long mm-hmm. distance race. You know, I remember almost crawling one mile out from my second hundred and then in that last, you know, 500 meters feeling like I was, you know, <laughs> prefontaine just running like crazy. And it was probably a 12 minute mile, but it still felt like a kick. So it depends how you define it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a little bit different in ultras versus hundred meters. Yeah. Okay.
1: Well then here's a a follow-on question then. Would your cadence pick up? What do we mean by cadence and how does that contribute to a kick?
0: Oh, Gosh. So Mm -hmm. I threw this on the list thinking more in the road running kind of category, Mm -hmm. Carolyn, and coaching, because this is something that is is near and dear to my heart when it comes to injury prevention. But yeah, cadence is steps per minute. It's essentially Mm -hmm. your turnover. How many steps or how many times are your feet landing on the ground in a given minute? Typically a higher cadence, the faster you're running and the shorter your stride is. So, um, it's good. To have a high cadence is good. let's leave it at that. It basically means mm-hmm. that your foot is landing typically underneath you rather than way in front of you. Um, there's lower impact per step. So if you think of running a kilometer with um, a thousand steps versus 2000 steps, you're running the same distance, but the impact of that ground hitting your body is being divided in two if you're running 2000 mm-hmm. steps each time right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it's a gentler way to run and it's, it's a more efficient way to run. Yeah. Gotcha. And okay. so when you kick, yes, your feet pick up. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, and my understanding is like, there's only two ways that you can go faster. One is to turn your legs over faster and one is to take longer steps. Right. And so it's usually a combination of those two different Methods like a little bit. I mean, mm-hmm. if you already have a high cadence, then you're probably taking longer steps. But if your steps are already long, then you speed up by right increasing right. your cadence. But,
0: but often, another, we another s- way to think about it though is you could conceivably have a super high cadence and not go anywhere. You could run in place 180 yep. steps per minute. Exactly. Right? So, in, so in it's order independent to. Independent of speed. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah.
1: But people will usually use a combo of both. <clears throat> Absolutely, yeah. To go faster, to kick. Yeah, to kick. Okay. All right, so let's say you're out there, you've done your drop bag, you've had your trail nap, you've got your pacer, you're kicking. Um, What if you come DFL?
0: Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, are we marking this episode with an E or not? So DFL means dead freaking last. (laughs) Let's put it that way. Okay, Um, and nobody wants to be DFL, but it happens, right? Although
1: I would argue, sometimes the person DFL gets the biggest cheers. Have you ever seen this? And I, it's
0: the golden mm -hmm. hour, right? Absolutely. They, you know, it's there is something about spending longer time in a course, whether you're DFL or tenth DFL, that requires some honor and some kudos. So Absolutely. it does take more, you know, if you're up there through two nights versus one night or through 10 hours versus five hours, you, you suffered in ways that the person that was out there half the won time won the didn't. race didn't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's just a different type of hard, right? So yep. it's, it's equally as honorable. Yeah. A yep. few other acronyms to throw your way. Uh, what's DNF? So DNF is did not finish, which we've talked about on our pod before, but yeah. That's, we did a that whole trans- episode on the DNF. <laughs> yeah, that goes to road or trail. Yeah. Yeah. And if you run
1: long enough, you'll probably have a DNF, yeah. I would say. Yeah. And, and a good story cool. around
0: it also. <laughs> Let's hope. Um, the DNS. DNS is to not start, mm-hmm. and that is, you know, that's something that's conscious decision, right? And mm-hmm. uh, again, if you run long enough, you might find that there are races that you you have to make the decision to did not start. Mm-hmm. So
1: illness, yeah. injury are, are yeah. the common ones. Are there any other reasons why somebody would not well, COVID? Or somebody would DNS? <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. There was illness. a whole lot of us that had COVID mm-hmm. reasons for DNS is on our race roster. There might be right. family reasons, right? There yep. might be financial reasons. There could be a lot of different reasons why you can't do a race, but okay. at least, at least you, you put that intention out there and that doesn't mean you can't there go out and do it again. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Okay. So in, When you were talking about road running stuff, asking me my road running questions, we talked about long runs, but what is LSD? Oh,
0: how many times have I said I'm going to do an LSD run and I've gotten some really (laughs) weird looks? So yes, LSD, long, slow distance, right, Carolyn? Long,
1: slow distance, yeah. Those
0: long, easy days, yeah. And do
1: you typically use... Like, do you use long run and LSD interchangeably? Like, is yeah. any long run an LSD? Or is mm-hmm. it only like you're the super long ones that you call LSD?
0: Yeah, you know, it's not such a common trail running term. It's more road running term. Okay. But I've kind of carried that over. Um, mm-hmm. I think of it more as a race where you're actually running or a run. Sorry, we're actually running. Sometimes your long trail days involve a lot of vert, which is a lot of trekking. But if you're actually running... We'll call those long, slow distance days. Yeah, okay. But that's just me. I don't think there's any hard and fast rule on that one. All
1: right. So before we end, we earlier we were talking about hitting the wall, right? So that yeah. often happens yeah. at mile twenty of the marathon for for people. Um, what does fueling mean in the ultra world? What do you What are you referring to
0: with fueling? And then we'll get into hydration after that. So fueling essentially means. You know, giving your body nutrition in order to keep moving on. And I think we often think of fueling as food. Maybe in the trail community, but essentially it's, it's calories, right? It's glucose, it's glycogen. It's, it could be fat, it could be mm-hmm. anything that keeps you moving forward. Um, so it could be liquid, it could be semi-liquid in the form of gels. Um, it could be full-on food. It could be a burger, it could be pizza, mm-hmm. it could be meatballs, right? Pierogies are popular here in Alberta. Yeah. Um, it could be lots of different things on the trail, but fueling—you don't have to think of it just as solid food. Don't think of it just as gels. It could could be even be in your, you know, Gatorade is a form of fueling because it has glucose in it. Tailwind is a form of fueling because it has different, um, fructose, glucose, Mm -hmm. sucrose in it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So when you're hydrating, so you
1: could be drinking something, but it's not like you're alluding to the fact that you can actually get calories in Mm -hmm. with your Mm -hmm. hydration. So define
0: hydration in the ultra world for us it's it's a definition i think for any world but so i think one of the biggest misconceptions is hydration simply means water and it doesn't like water Mm -hmm. is somebody who's dealt with horrific hyponatremia myself in the past, simple water and too much water is not good either. It actually has to get into your body. And therefore you need the electrolytes as well. So hydration really is water that can get into your cells and into your bloodstream, which means you have to have the salt, the potassium, the um, magnesium, the different- Glucose helps too. Glucose helps to your body to absorb Mm -hmm. salt. Absolutely. So hydration is really about- the ability for your body to absorb um, fluids into mm-hmm. into your gut throughout and a run. get it and where it needs to go. Yeah, get it where it needs to go, exactly. And hydration can be independent of fueling or it can be at the same time as fueling, <laughs> right? You can have liquid fueling and hydration in the same bottle mm-hmm. or you could choose to do them independently. So some runners choose to do their salt all through salt tabs through say S-caps and they choose to do their um, glucose and fueling completely independently of that and then just drink water. Others choose to combine it. That's a whole other podcast on how your body absorbs nutrition and what's best for one person is not necessarily best for another. But typically when somebody says hydration, they mean the fluid part with the electrolytes and fueling is the calories part. Okay. And I
1: suspect that this is more important. Like you could get away with plain water in a five K, right? But Mm -hmm. the longer you go, the more necessary it is to have the
0: electrolytes with that hydration. Absolutely. Yeah. And depending on your weather conditions too. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Wow. Carolyn, we um (laughs) we we did it.
1: talk about (laughs) We're like this this'll probably be half an hour and now we're (laughs) like, nope, this is gonna be two episodes. (laughs) Holy.
0: We we have a complicated sport. We do. And you know, it really made me as we went through this process of brainstorming terms and chatting with each other realize how complicated it really has become. Although it doesn't have to be. But if you've recently joined this sport or you're listening to this podcast and you felt a little bit out of place because you haven't understood, please do not feel alone. Mm -hmm. We we've all been there. I've been there. Um and I think this is why we wanted to do this episode was even if these terms aren't you, new to you we want to you know let people know that you are seen if even one mm-hmm. of these terms was new to you mm-hmm. and we hope we're not experts in any way we tried to explain things to the best of our knowledge but we hope that we helped you understand our sport a little bit better and if we forgot anything
1: yeah. <laughs> head over onto our social media at inspired souls cast And leave us a comment of one of the terms that we forgot. I think that would be a really fun way to engage with the audience because we definitely would have have forgot. We actually have a few that we, we didn't cover, but again, perhaps for another day. So thanks for listening.